everyone, and welcome to the Homes Politicast. I'll be your host today. Hope you're all having a great day. Uh, where I'm filming this, it's rather cloudy and dark, but hopefully everything is sunshine and roses where you're at. Today, I'm filming this on April 15th, known as Income Tax Day, but also eight years ago, was it's the anniversary of the uh, bombing at the Boston Marathon. It was a horrible day. I don't know if any of you remember it. I can't remember how I heard the news if I was just, I don't think I was watching the news when it happened, but <clears throat> I heard about it at some point and it was just a real tragic day. I just remember it went all the way into the evening as they were investigating and trying to figure out what happened. And, but yeah, um, but there are some people who remember it vividly who were there and, uh, you know, it's just, just a sad thing. Like eight people were killed. Um, just a horrible anniversary, but, yeah, um, it's sad. Uh, a couple other, uh, things that I want to get out of the way real quick. Um, one of them is April 28th, uh, president Biden will be giving a joint session or addressing a joint session of Congress. Um, Eight or nine o'clock, I'm not sure what time he'll be doing that. It will not be a State of the Union uh, because presidents don't usually do those until they've been in office at least a year. But so I'm not really sure what he's going to talk about. Maybe just outlying, outlying his his agenda for the next year, probably. Um, but it might be something you'd be, you'll be interested in. Uh, we probably won't really be covering it a lot on here, but, you know, if there's anything really interesting, though, I'll bring it up or anything real controversial, which honestly, I don't think there's going to be anything extremely controversial in there. Uh, I mean, there might be a few things that are not good ideas. I'm not saying that, that everything you said is going to be great, but I mean... But it's probably not going to be extra controversial. They're going to go out of their way to really try to be different than Donald Trump. Um, they're really working overtime trying to uh, mold Biden into the anti-Trump. You know, almost it's almost like they'd say, how would Donald Trump handle this? Let's not handle it the opposite. So I don't think there's going to be anything really controversial and really newsworthy. That's one interesting thing. Um, while we're on the topic, I wasn't planning on talking much about Biden, but that uh, I was reading an article in Politico, I think it was, in which they were talking about this very thing, that they, that Biden, because Trump was such an in-your-face figure and he was always tweeting, he was always in the news, they said Biden has... Uh, taking a step back where you don't really see a whole lot of Biden. Uh, there are other reasons uh, that I won't get into now. And I'm sure you can draw your own conclusion as to what reasons they don't want Biden out in public. But but you've noticed that you don't really hear a whole lot from Biden. You don't, you know, his tweets are very generic. I'm sure he has somebody tweeting for him. His, uh, when it comes out, they're very, and speaks, they're very carefully scripted events. And he's not out there for long. You're seeing a lot more of uh, Pete Buttigieg and Jennifer Granholm and Anthony Blinken, um, you know, members of his uh, cabinet 
uh, and you're seeing the vice president out doing a lot more, and you're just not seeing as much from Biden except in very specific situations, and they're very uh, scripted and very short. And um, like I said, there are other reasons why that is, and you could draw your own conclusion, but one of the things that they're trying to accomplish is to make him the anti-Trump. You just don't see much from Biden, as opposed to Trump, who is always out there in public, always tweeting, always speaking, always um, right there. And so so I, just, I think it's just a rather interesting contrast. So my point is, they are purposely trying to make him the anti-Trump. And so I don't think the State of the Union is going to be as big of a spectacle as it was, or, or a joint session of Congress, as big of a spectacle as it was under Trump. I think it's going to be rather short, kind of to the point, and not really going to create a lot of headlines. Uh, and I the, really the only reason he's doing this is because there's been a big clamor from Republicans um, in the echo chambers of not just Fox News, but even in, in Capitol Hill. You know, why isn't Biden coming out? Why isn't he speaking more? Why isn't he doing more? Why isn't, you know... And so I think they kind of felt they have to do something. Uh, and so they scheduled this because this wasn't, this was scheduled at the last minute, even up until, you know, two weeks ago, uh, the White House was asked, you know, when he was going to address Congress or anything like this, when he was going to give a major speech. And they said, there's nothing scheduled that we don't have anything planned for the near future. And then all of a sudden, Oh, he's giving us, he's going to be addressing Congress April 28th. It's like they realize we need to do something uh, before this gets out of control and looks like he's hiding from the public, which to a certain degree he is, but that's a different story. Um, if you've been watch, listening to the show for a while and you've seen the review of Lucky, the book about the Biden presidency or Biden candidacy, you'll see that it is part of a, a plan to keep him shielded from the public as much as possible. Uh, partly because of his age, partly because of his gaffes. Um, the less people see of Biden, the more they like him, honestly. Uh, and I don't mean that to be disparaging. I just, but it's just the truth that the less people see of Biden, the more they like him. And the more people see of him, the less popular he is during the campaign. When every time he would appear, he got in fights with uh, union workers. He called that one person a uh, one one dog pony soldier or something. I don't know. Um, whatever that meant, um, you know. He, you know, and and his approval ratings just plummeted. And then during the general election, he disappeared, and his approval ratings went up. So they know that they know that the less you see a Biden, the more you like him. So. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about Biden, at least right now. Um, I might, if the show starts to run short, I might, I might go back to Biden. We'll see, though. Um, and then another um, news, national news. Um, this is from The Hill. Weekly jobless claims fall to the lowest level since lockdowns. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole article, but I'll just tell you that weekly jobless claims plunged by 200,000 applications to the lowest level since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic more than a year ago, the Labor Department reported on Thursday. In the week ending April 10th, 
Roughly 576,000 Americans filed initial claims for unemployment benefits, plummeting from the revised total of 769,000 in the previous week. Last week's total was the lowest since the week ending March 14, 2020, when Americans filed 256,000 initial claims for jobless benefits as entire swaths of the economy began to shut down. So I'm not going to read the whole article, but that's just great news. Really marvelous. Hopefully we can start getting the economy open again and, uh, you know, and get people back in good jobs, good paying jobs. I mean, that's one thing, though. I have to say that there are lots of jobs available out there. You drive around and you'll see all kinds of people, you know, McDonald's, Taco Bell, KFC. I mean, you know, you're seeing all kinds of of stores and, and especially fast food. In fact, I just read an article about a Sonic here in Michigan. I can't remember what city it is that it's closed because none of the workers showed up. I mean, you know, they, they called in or something, you know, and, and the manager was frustrated and he told the press, you know, that uh, nobody, you know, we can't get people to fill these positions. Um, there are jobs all over the place, but the, the, the problem is that prices everywhere are going up, but jobs, uh, the pay, pay, pay wage has not increased. So there are lots of jobs, but they're not living wage jobs. I mean, you know, they're a nice job if you're a teenager, but if you have a family of four and you're unemployed, it does not, it will not be beneficial to get a job at Taco Bell. You're not going to be able to pay your bills. You're not going to be able to make a living at Taco Bell. Um, so there are lots of jobs available, but they're not good paying jobs. They don't provide benefits. They don't provide a living wage. So therefore, they're having trouble filling all these positions. And yet there are still a lot of people who are unemployed because they make, at least they can pay their bills on unemployment insurance but they can't if they go to work at a place like Taco Bell. And this is no offense to these places. I used to work at Taco Bell. I mean, it was a good place to work. I'm not I'm not singling these out and saying they're horrible jobs, but I'm just saying they're not very well-paid jobs. And many of those jobs will, um, and I experienced this when I worked at Taco Bell, many of these jobs will hire more workers than they need so that they don't have to hire any of them full time. Therefore, they don't have to pay them benefits. They don't have anything. So you'll have, like when I worked at Taco Bell, you know, 10, 10 years ago or so, um, we had like 40 people on the payroll. Uh, and each of us were getting, you know, 25, maybe 30 hours a week. Well, some of us who were older, like myself, would get maybe 30 hours a week because we just had too many workers. But it was done that way on purpose because if I worked 40 hours a week, then they had to give me a certain amount of benefits. They had to give me a certain amount of pay. So they made sure that they didn't, they hired more people. That way they didn't have to, which to me, it seems like, I don't know, maybe I've never done the math, but it seems like it was more expensive to hire these people. But I guess than it would be just to pay me uh, a good wage. But, you know, you could take the pay that you paid 
you know, this 16 year old you just hired to work 10 hours a week, you know, you could have taken that pay and given it to me and, or put it toward benefits for myself or something, but, but maybe not, I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's the problem is a lot of these places will overhire. So they don't have to pay um, a decent wage or provide benefits because the law says that you have to pay full, you know, a full-time employees certain benefits. So there are lots of jobs available. You drive around and so it's like, well, how are the, all these people unemployed? People are hiring left and right, but they're not offering any competitive wages. And so it doesn't make any sense to leave unemployment to go to get a job at McDonald's. I'll pick on McDonald's because I don't want to hurt anyone's from Taco Bell's feelings here. But it doesn't it doesn't make sense to leave that job and go or to leave unemployment and go to work at McDonald's because you can't make a living there. Um, like I said, it's fine if you're a teenager. It's fine maybe if you're a college student. But if you have a house and a family, you can't provide for them in the small amount of hours you're going to get. Um, so, <clears throat> but hopefully with restaurants opening and things like this, we'll start seeing a more competitive wages. Um, I would think at some point that the CEOs of these big corporations would realize that they're going to have to start offering competitive wages at fast food because they're, they're bleeding people. And nobody wants to work there except, like I said, high school students. They're, you know, if they're going to bring in other people, they're going to have to start paying more money if they want to attract uh, higher caliber workers, older workers, people with families. And um, because that's right now, that's the only thing that's hiring. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I just, I just. They shouldn't – people who have a degree shouldn't have to work at fast food. But unfortunately, that's what we're having now because there's there's numerous problems because there's lack of employment, number one. And number two, because we have now for 40 or you know years or longer, actually longer than 40 years, but have, have drilled into every kid that they need to get a college education in order to get a good job. So what we have now is a hugely educated populace, but there aren't enough jobs for all those people. So, you know, I remember, you know, 20 some years ago, one of my first jobs was at the Star Theater in Holland. And I was a teenager, but I was working with people who had a, a PhD in psychi psychology and, you know, uh, they, they had a high education, they had graduated, but there was no work in their field. They couldn't get a job. So they had to work at places like the Star Theater. Well, they were completely overqualified, you know, to pop popcorn and, and sell movie tickets. You know, they had a degree. Some of them were teachers. Some of them, you know, like I said, I knew one girl who was uh, a qualified counselor, a psychologist. And, uh, but they were working at Taco, or at, uh, at Star Theater. Um, because there just weren't enough jobs in their field. And so this is what's happened now is that you're having janitors who have a degree. You have 
you know, and, and, and it's trickling down where now you might have a person who has a PhD who is going to be flipping burgers at Burger King. Should they have to do that? No. You know, you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to work at Burger King or fast food when you've graduated from college. But unfortunately, since everybody and their brother graduates with a degree from college, there aren't enough college-educated jobs available for everybody. So it's unfortunate that a college-educated person might have to work fast food or might have to work as a waiter or a waitress or as a cook. But um, that's the reality we live in, in present-day America. And so they need to have wages that um, that reflect that, that you're going to have some educated people working at these fast food places. Um, plus, also, an additional problem is that because people don't have savings, because they don't have a living wage, um, they live paycheck to paycheck, they're having to retire older and older. And they've raised the age of retirement, you know, to like 65 or 67 or something. So you have older people staying in their jobs a lot longer. So you're not having the turnover in some of these jobs at factories and places. And you end up with even retired people who can't live off of social security, taking jobs at Walmart or Meyer or, you know, um, or working, you know, uh, at McDonald's as a, you know, as a janitor and things. And so therefore you can't bring in any younger people to take those jobs because these people can't afford to quit. They have to keep working because they can't live off of social security or they, they haven't reached the age yet. They're like 60 years old, but they can't retire yet. So we have this problem where everything's kind of bottlenecked. You have, all kinds of people competing for the same jobs and employers don't have to offer competitive wages because you have a backlog of people who all want those jobs. So why would you, why would you pay them uh, a huge amount of money? Why would you give them benefits? You don't need to because people are willing to work for it anyway. So what we need to do is, Oh, well, there's a lot of things that we could do lower the, Social Security age, so the retirement age, um, you know, work on. I'm not a big proponent of minimum wage, but it does need, you know, but since we have it, it does need to be raised because the minimum wage has remained the same or it's been raised like 25 cents. You know, it's been raised very little, and yet the price of housing has gone up tremendously. It's very expensive. I mean, there was a time in the 50s and 60s where you could raise a family on a single family income. The father could go out and work and the mother could stay home and take care of the kids. Uh, my grandparents did that. My grandfather raised 11 kids and he worked at a job at a piano factory. My grandmother never worked a day in her life. And uh, they were able to raise the kids on the money that he brought in. And they had a car and they had, you know, um, you know, but nowadays, uh, you really can't raise a family on a single family income. It's very difficult. Uh, so, you know, we, we need, there's just a lot of things that we need. We need to get the elderly retired so that they can open up those jobs so we can, you know, we can recreate the middle class. We need to, um, 
have less people going to college so that college education actually means something and they can get jobs in their field and the uneducated can get jobs, um, you know, in places where you do require some training, like fast food requires some training, but it doesn't require extensive training and pretty much anybody could be trained to do those jobs. Um, not everybody can fly an airplane. Not everybody um, can be a scientist, but you know, everybody can be trained uh, at McDonald's to run the counter or to make burgers or, you know, or to make tacos at Taco Bell. You can train them to do that. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, so, I mean, there's just, I mean, there's a whole list of things we can do, but right now the economy is just bottlenecked and everybody's fighting for the same jobs. And right now the free market isn't working the way it should because it's an employer's market. And so they don't have to offer competitive wages because so many people are unemployed. They're just happy to have a job. So they're, they don't, they don't have to offer something more than the other guy because uh, everybody needs a job. So, you know, they're going to take it. They'll take a job working $8 an hour, hypothetically, or $9 an hour, whatever. You know, even though they might need $14 an hour, hypothetically, you know, to raise their family or to pay their bills. But they're not going to argue because I need a job. Whereas if it was an employee market, then yeah, the businesses would be competitive and they would each try to outdo each other. And, you know, we'll pay you, you know, $10 an hour. Well, I'll pay you $11 an hour plus you'll get a vacation time. You know, well, I'll pay you $12 an hour and I'll pay your health care. You know, I mean, you know, they'd be more competitive, but right now there's no reason to be competitive. And so you're seeing a spiral toward the bottom. I mean, you know, if there was no government minimum wage, they would be paying the, you know, they would be spiraling downward, everyone paying even less because they wouldn't have to pay more. Um, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's just human nature. Everyone is greedy and businesses are no different. They're not going to pay their employees any more than they have to uh, in this kind of a market. Like I said, if, if it was a booming economy when there are more jobs than there are people, then yeah, then they would need to lure people in. But right now we don't have a booming economy. And so they're going to pay them as little as possible. So anyway, there's a lot of things right now that needs to be fixed from our education system to, um, you know, a retirement system to our economic system as far as wage and price. Um, you know, uh, you know, so anyway, it's just, there's just a lot of stuff here that needs to be taken care of. Um, we have, let me see here, another article from the Hill, but this one is about Michigan. Um, the Michigan pizza shop owner who refused to close for COVID-19 seeks reimbursement of fines. Oh. Guess. Hold on just a second here. Sorry about that. Uh, thing showed up on my screen and I couldn't get it off and I couldn't read the article. Um, a Michigan restaurant owner who had her license revoked and spent four nights in jail after she refused to comply with the coronavirus ban on indoor dining is suing the state to have her contempt of court findings dropped and fines related to her decision dismissed. The Associated Press reported that an attorney for Marlena Pavlos Hackney <coughs> filed a motion Tuesday <coughs> demanding a refund. 
for $15,000 paid in fines, arguing that she appeared in court for a March 19th hearing at which she was found in contempt of court without a lawyer despite having retained counsel. Pavlos Hackney was jailed after being found in contempt of court, but released after officers were convinced that her restaurant would remain closed. The owner of Mar of Marlena's Bistro and Pizzeria in Holland, Michigan, was arrested last month after her food service license was suspended in January over her refusal to stop serving customers indoors following the state's pandemic ban in November. A sign previously on the door of her pizza shop read, Welcome, we are a constitutionally compliant business. We are not infringing on anyone's inalienable rights. By law, we do not follow any of the governor's, mayor's, health departments, or other government agencies' orders or suggestions pertaining to social distancing or mask wearing. Uh, it's unclear whether Pavlos Hackney has made any further attempts to reopen her business since her release. So that one, really no comment there. Um, just uh, interesting. So just to uh, recap, she's suing the state for reimbursement. <coughs> of fines. Um, an interesting thing I saw uh, here next to it says the CNN news crew was attacked uh, while they were covering something in Minnesota, and it reminded me that um, of of uh, James O'Keefe does does these uh, frequent um, videos. I don't know what you'd call them, but um, in which he exposes uh, things, uh, people. And he did this one recently in which he talked to some of the head honchos at CNN where they admitted that their goal was to keep Trump from being reelected. That was their primary goal. Uh, I don't know about since the day he got elected, but certainly in the last year or so, which of course comes as no surprise to anybody who even marginally pays attention to the news, but it was interesting hearing them say that out loud, even to what they thought was a friendly audience. I just can't believe that they would just up and admit it. So it surprises me not that the CNN news crews were attacked because um, they are just obviously fake news. Um, let's see here. What other news stories do I have? This one is from Wood TV 8. Uh, rather interesting. I, it's actually an update of a story we brought you a month or so ago. Um, it's from Nuego County. Uh, a teen charged for bringing homemade explosive to Nuego High School. You may remember this. Uh, it'll talk a little bit about it in the article, so I'm not going to recap it for you. But the teen who allegedly brought explosives to school is facing charges in juvenile court. The Nuego County Prosecuting Attorney's Office said the 16-year-old boy is charged with manufacturing and possession of a Molotov cocktail or similar device and possession of a weapon in a weapon-free school zone. A preliminary hearing was held Wednesday. The charges stem from an explosion on March 8th at Nuego High School. The teen allegedly brought homemade explosives to the school and they went off. The boy sustained injuries to his hands. Authorities at the time said the teen didn't mean to cause harm to anybody, and they believed the detonation was accidental. 
After the explosion, authorities went to the teen's home in nearby Brooks Township, where they found more explosives. The Nuevo County prosecutor said the teen told authorities that he and his father put together the explosives together, which is weird verbiage. But his father, 33-year-old David Saylor, faces both state and federal charges in connection to the case. That's all they say here. Although I have, I have to have, I have to take issue with the first line: the teen who allegedly brought explosives to a school. He's not alleged to have brought them. He brought them. They went off. We all know he brought them. That's the alleged part is whether he did it intentionally to hurt people or whether it was an accident. I just that that's just a pet peeve of mine. Alleged, you know, they always put all these allegedly's in there about things, you know, to protect themselves from lawsuits. You only use allegedly if if there is an allegation of something that hasn't been proven yet. You know, so the teen didn't allegedly bring explosives. He brought explosives. It was alleged that he set them off intentionally to harm people. So uh, that just bothered me from the very first. Like, I don't know who they hired to write these articles here. Like, like here, the Nuevo County prosecutor said the teen told authorities that he and his father put together the explosives together. What? That even in high school, that wouldn't have passed muster. How, who do they hire to put this? Um, like it should have wrote that he and his father made the explosives together or put the explosives put together. Uh, um, you know, it's just, it's just a bad verbiage. I just, that just, pet peeve of mine. I just, I just don't like it. Sometimes these things are just worded in a weird way, but anyway, yeah, I don't know anything about the case as far as whether or not this kid did it intentionally. I'm not really sure because they haven't explained yet. And this is a question that I have that I've had all along is they said the, the explosives went off in class. And um, I remember this from the article I read the first time, and I read it to you. And what what they don't explain, and I don't understand why you don't have any uh, intrepid reporters who are investigating this. Why didn't they talk to the teacher? Why didn't they talk to the other students in the classroom? What was the point? What was the class teaching? Why did he have the explosives there? Because they said it was an accident. What would he have had the explosives out on the table for anyway? Was this part of a science class? Was it part of a, you know, everyone bringing a science experiment and we're going to work on it? You're going to show us like a show and tell. Everyone's going to put together something and, you know, and, and his exploded. I mean, is it, you know, what I don't understand is what was going on to begin with. Why no one thought it was odd when he brought these explosives out and put them on his desk or wherever it was in the classroom and was fooling around with it and it went off. You know, there's been no understanding of what was going on that day. What was the context of why he was there? Why the explosion explosives were there? Why he and his father were putting these together? Like I said, it was a part of a science experiment. You know, how did he get them through, you know, in the building, um, you know, just, there's just a ton of questions, you know, and the explosive must not have been that large. If it only hurt his hands, it didn't kill anybody. It didn't kill everybody in the room. 
you would think that like if you'd had a massive explosion, it would have killed people or seriously maimed somebody. And all it did was hurt his hands. So that kind of is, is a curious and uh, kind of a detective-minded person. I would wonder then, I would have to ask the question, or I would have to assume that this wasn't meant for the purpose of harming people if the explosive was so um, small of a device that it only hurt his hands when it went off. It didn't do any real damage. If the, if the purpose there was to kill or injure people, it seems like it would have been a much more serious, uh, large bomb. Or was there some malfunction and that's why it didn't go off completely. And that's the things that it seems like you could find out. You don't have to wait until he goes to court. It seems like you just ask some basic questions. A reporter could just ask, you know, 10, 15 questions, take, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes, ask some questions of the, of the teacher, ask, you know, what was the student doing there? What was the, what was the course about? What class was this even, you know, if this was, uh, this was gym class and he pulled them out, pulled this out, then you have to have some real questions of what the purpose was. But if it's a science class, well, then there may have been a reason why he had some explosives, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, not that it would justify bringing explosives, but I just mean it might explain if he was trying to showcase something, you know, like like in chemistry class. I mean, there are certain, you know, if you bring certain chemicals together, they'll cause an explosion. That doesn't mean the kid meant to blow up the school just because he accidentally mixes two chemicals together. You know, it's the same thing. Like maybe he didn't intend to have it explode. Maybe he was trying to to showcase something showcase how something worked, you know, and then he crossed two wires together and the thing exploded, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking a side here. I'm just saying, these are the questions that a reporter you would think would ask, to try to find out what was going on here. And, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I just, the, the whole thing, I have a ton of questions and yet there seems to be so few answers. The only thing they seem to agree on is that the kid had some explosives at school and they went off and hurt his kid's hand and they found out the father had helped him put together this project. That's all we know. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It just, I'm sure that <clears throat> people in general love to gossip, but teenagers um, love to talk. And, you know, if a reporter showed up and asked a bunch of teenagers what happened in the classroom, you don't have to get a, a, a warrant, you know, to force these kids to talk. These kids will talk right away. Like, well, I was there. He did this. He did this. That went off. And, <clears throat> you know, they'll tell you the history of this kid. They'll tell you all about him. You know, like, well, we always thought he was a weirdo. He's always bringing weird stuff to class or no, he's a great kid. I mean, you know, he's always helpful. He's, you know, we know he didn't mean to do anything wrong because he was a really nice kid. And, you know, I can vouch for his character. You know, I mean, you know, you put that, you put a, a microphone in these kids uh, face and they will tell you all about the kid and everything that happened that day. And, and probably a ton of stuff you don't even want to know. They'll just, they'll just talk because, you know, like everybody, teenagers love to be the center of attention. They love answering questions. They love, you know, having somebody ask their opinion about something. So, I mean, it wouldn't have taken much for the reporter to find out anything about this, but it seems to me like all they did was ask the police. You know, because the police are only going to give you a bare minimum of information because they're in doing investigation. 
So it seems to me they just asked the police, and the police said, well, these are the facts. This is what happened. We talked to the father. We've, we're charging him with this. Oh, okay, well, we got the whole story then. Let's Let's run with it. So anyway, I just, that one, I want to see more information. I'm really curious as to what is going on in that case. This is another article from Wood TV 8. Uh, let's see. Uh, some Grand Rapids restaurants he'd call stop dining even without a mandate. As many of you know, the governor uh, urged um, urged everyone to go back to social distancing and, and, and close, schools to close and things. She did not mandate it. But so here it says, while Governor Gretchen Whitmer hasn't man mandated any additional restrictions for restaurants, some local spots are voluntarily closing their dining rooms to help stop the spread of COVID-19. The decision to cut back on service came after Whitmer last week urged restaurants to take a two-week break from indoor dining, a recommendation, not a requirement. Chris Fanaro, the operations director for All In Hospitality Group, which operates four Grand Rapids restaurants, said the correct choice was obvious given the spike in cases and hospitalizations. The biggest thing for us is doing everything we can to keep our staff and our guests safe, Fanaro said. Beginning this week, Fanaro said All In has closed indoor dining of all its restaurants, Donkey, Takira, Hancock, Royals, and the Winchester. Uh, the plan is to close our indoor dining spaces for two weeks and really focusing on outdoor seating and takeout food, Fanaro said. He said this is the first time All In has voluntarily implemented its, such restrictions, something it sees as necessary to protect staff and customers. A downtown coffee shop has also heeded to the governor's advice, closing indoor seating until further notice. The moment I see someone walk in with a backpack, a briefcase, I try to, it must be, or briefcase. Do they not have editors who read these things? The moment I see someone walk in with a backpack or a briefcase, I try to immediately say, hey, we're not doing indoor seating right now. Lantern Coffee Bar and Lounge Manager John Bailey said. Since that isn't required by the state right now, Bailey said he explains to customers that Lantern choose to do it. It's got to be chose. It's supposed to be chose to do it. Who are these people? Since that isn't required by the state right now, Bailey said he explains to customers that Lantern chose to do it to ensure the health and safety of the community. It's the same reason GR Noir Wine and Jazz in downtown has pivoted to curbside only, canceling dozens of reservations for in-house dining. For us, whether Whitmer said it or not, we are grappling with it anyhow, because our first line of being responsible is safety. GR Noir owner Chaton Brigham said, for us, for the staff, for the customers, for the community. So we decided to say, you know what, let's pause for a couple of weeks and we'll pick up our curbside service. This is pathetic. I'm not commenting on that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess it's a private business. They can do whatever they want. I just think it's a dumb move, but, you know, uh, but what's 
just really annoying is WTV8 has the worst people writing for them. I don't understand that. I saw two typos in that one article. Two typos. Put choose instead of chose and of instead of or. And nobody caught it? Oh my goodness. I just don't understand it at all. Like What is going on? How did we get to a point where even professional writers don't know how to write or they don't have editors who overlook and see what they're writing? I, I just... I just that just disturbs me. Just disturbs me to no end. Anyway, rant over. I'm trying not to be. I don't. I don't want to be like this old man who yells about everything and you know just you know is always bitter and ah oh, these kids today they don't know what they're doing. Um, but that just is a pet peeve of mine, and it also it's disturbing because. I'm trying to read, and it makes it sound like I read with the level of a fifth grader because I keep stumbling over words that shouldn't be in there, and they don't make any sense, and then I get confused because I'm like, wait, what is this saying? This doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so anyway, we're about out of time, folks. Um, glad you joined me today, and uh, next week I will be joining um, with the other half here. We'll be doing a joint show on Friday, so stay tuned for that um, and looking forward to it. So we'll have some lively discussion, I'm sure. And uh, anyway, talk to you all real soon. Have a great week and see you next time. Bye.